And I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 22. We're turning the page today from 1 Kings into 2 Kings. Originally, they were probably just one book, so it's not a big change. It's the story is the same, but we're going from the last chapter of 1 Kings into the first chapter of 2 Kings this morning. While you're turning there, I want to say thank you for sending Heather and me to the Allegheny district pastors and wives retreat last weekend we had a great vacation the week before that at the beach and then we ended our vacation with a weekend away with the other pastor couples from around our district of the efca thank you for the time off and for praying for heather and me to enjoy the retreat in washington county pennsylvania i bring you greetings from pastor jeff and kim powell and uh other pastors that you know like pastor carrie and his wife Robin uh, Doyle from Sarver, and a whole bunch of other wonderful pastor folks that we are connected to. I was really encouraged to listen to the sermons from the last two Sundays here at Lance Free Church online. Uh, Mark Brenner and Donnie Rosie from the ranch did a great job of sharing God's Word with our church family. And I even hear that Bob Geiswhite led one of the hymns last week. I'm going to ask him for a solo next time I'm away. It's good to be back home with you. It's fun to go away for a short trip, but there's no place like home, and there's no place like your home church. And I love the privilege of being your pastor. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. Thank you for putting my picture, such as it is, in the progress. And I I sure appreciate uh, being your pastor. Not every pastor looks forward to coming back to their church after vacation, but I sure do. I know some of my pastor buddies last weekend They love the chance to get away. They weren't sure if they wanted to go back. But I sure do. It's a joy to be your pastor. And it's a joy to share God's Word with you from this pulpit. Ever since Easter, we've been studying the Old Testament books of kings. Starting with the end of King David and his life and reign and rule. And then his son Solomon, glorious Solomon. And then running through all of the kings of the divided kingdom, both north and south. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Abijah, Asa, Nadab, Baasha, Elah, Zimri, Tibni, Omri, and last and worst so far, Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. And we've learned that all of these kings remind us in some way of King Jesus. When these kings are at their best, they remind us of Jesus himself. And when these kings are at their worst, they remind us of why we need Jesus. There's been lots of that, hasn't there? A lot of these kings were at their worst. They were, as we say, two thumbs down. Especially the kings of the north, the kingdom called Israel, as they went after other gods. And the worst of them was King Ahab. The Lord sent a special prophet to confront King Ahab and show that the Lord is God. The prophet's name was Elijah. And we learned about the days of Elijah in July and August and September. In our chapters for today, Elijah is still alive, but Ahab has finally died. Remember that, that Ahab died last time we were together in the books? It was a random bow shot, quote-unquote, random bow shot that took Ahab down. Of course, we know there was nothing random about it. It was the sovereign judgment of God that took Ahab out. And that's where we pick up the story today. Chapter 22, verse 41. Strangely enough, The author switches right here to talking about the southern kingdom of Judah. He hasn't talked about Judah since chapter 
15. But he has talked about the king of Judah who had an alliance with the king of Israel, and his name was Jehoshaphat. We met him briefly last time as he battled Aram alongside Ahab. And here the author wants to tell us a little bit about his reign. Look at verse 41. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilhi. In everything, he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Jehoshaphat was also at peace with the king of Israel. As for the other events of Jehoshaphat's reign, the things he achieved and his military exploits, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? Let's stop there for now and pray together. Lord, how great is the love that you have lavished upon us? That we, here in this room, should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. That's what we are. You've done that through what Jesus did for us. Help us to live like it. To never lose the marveling that we would be included by grace through faith into this new position of being united with Christ, adopted to be the children of God. And help us also, Lord, to live out the implications of it for daily life. Would you show us some of those here as we see what kind of a God we are the children of? Because you're not just some random deity. You're not just some deity we come up with on our own, customize and create. You're not the God we create. You're the God who created us. So help us to know you better as we open up your holy inspired, inerrant, infallible, righteous word. We pray it in the name of Jesus the Christ. And everybody said, Amen. The author of 1 Kings does not tell us a lot about King Jehoshaphat. If you want to know about King Jehoshaphat, then you need to read 2 Chronicles 17, 18, 19, and 20. The chronicler loves Jehoshaphat and wants to tell you lots about him. But the author of 1 Kings just wants to basically answer the basic question of the thumbs, right? This has been our question all along in 1 Kings. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Which is it for Jehoshaphat? Up. Two thumbs up? Probably two thumbs up. Maybe one and three quarters, right? Yeah. Verse 43 says he walked in the ways of his father Asa. Asa was a thumbs up guy. And it says he didn't stray for them. He wasn't like Solomon who started good but ended poorly. It says he did right in the eyes of Yahweh. Right? Uh, Right in the eyes of the Lord. We've seen that phrase again and again this last summer. Because that's where it really counts, right? Not what do other people say, how good do we look on the outside, but he looked right in the eyes of the Lord. He was two thumbs up. He did compromise some. He did not remove the high places 
So some false worship and some unhealthy worship was still allowed. And he made peace and alliances with the wicked king of Israel, Ahab. I think that was probably a mistake. But he was trying. He had a good heart and he lived it out. Verse 46, He rid the land of the rest of the male shrine prostitutes who remained there even after the reign of his father Asa. He was a thumbs-up king for Judah, even better than his dad in some areas. There was no, then no king in Edom, a deputy ruled. So Jehoshaphat said, hey, I think I'll go into overseas shipping. If Edom isn't in the game, I'll get in it. Verse 48. Now Jehoshaphat built a fleet of trading ships to go to Ophir for gold. But they never set sail. They were wrecked at Izian Geber. So he was good, but he was no breathtaking Solomon. Remember, he had a fleet of ships that went down there. Verse 49, at that time Ahaziah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my men sail with your men, but Jehoshaphat refused. More on Ahaziah in a minute. Then Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David, his father, and Jehoram, his son, succeeded him. So in other words, Jehoshaphat was a thumbs up king for Judah. 25 stable years, mostly godly years, for the southern kingdom. How about, in the, how about in the north then? How, how did they do in Israel? Did the northern kingdom come up after Ahab died? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Which one? Down. Verse 51. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother and in the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger just as his father had done. He's two thumbs down. What a contrast, huh? With Jehoshaphat. Where it really counted in the eyes of the Lord, Ahaziah was a complete and total failure. He also walked in the ways of his father and his mother, it says, but they were not good examples. He served and worshipped Baal. Just think about that. He served and worshipped Baal. Ahaziah apparently learned nothing at all. He has not learned anything from what happened to his dad. All those chapters we just read at the end of 1 Kings, meaningless he has not learned from what happened at mount carmel in chapter 11 when the fire fell from heaven he has not repented of anything his father did remember his father stealing that or his mother stealing that uh, vineyard from naboth remember all the decisions they have made about who to honor and who to shame who to who to try to kill he has not repented of anything his father's done Verse 53, he served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger just as his father had done. Now, I have not told you yet the title of this message. The title of this message is a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. It's a satirical question that gets asked to this king, King Ahaziah, who has apparently not learned anything yet in his life about Yahweh. And this rhetorical, satirical question gets asked three times in the next chapter. Chapter 1 of 2 Kings. 
Here's what it is. Is there no God in Israel? That's the question. Is there no God in Israel, Ahaziah? Well, verse 53 has already answered that question for us. And you knew the answer already because you're here at church, right? Verse 53 said that there is a God in Israel. In fact, He's the God of Israel. And He doesn't just exist. He's angry. He's provoked, it says. In fact, here's point number one. He is jealous. He's a jealous God. Yes, Ahaziah, there is a God in Israel. And he's jealous. And friends, that's a good thing. We sometimes think about jealousy as a bad thing. And there is a sin of jealousy, green-eyed jealousy, wanting something too much or something that isn't yours, okay? like a coveting. But there's a good, warm-hearted jealousy as well, which is a desire to protect and keep the thing that is rightfully yours. The Lord told us Himself that He is a jealous God. When? When did He say He was a jealous God? When is it? Yell it out. In the Ten Commandments. Right. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before Me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Why? For I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. Friends, God wants all the glory to Himself. He wants all of our allegiance for Himself. He wants all of the loyalty for Himself. He wants all of the worship for Himself. And He deserves it. And He cares about that. He's jealous. And that's good news. Because we don't really want a God who doesn't care about His glory. He wouldn't be that glorious if He didn't care. Imagine a husband who says, I don't care who my wife is with. Something wrong with that picture? Our God is a jealous God. He deserves all of our worship and wants all of our worship. He cares. And that's what makes idolatry so awful. It's rebellion and disloyalty. In the Old Testament, he calls it spiritual adultery God cares it provokes God to anger when God's people chase after other gods we've seen that again and again and again as we trek through the Old Testament that's the whole that was the whole problem with King Ahab it was what Elijah's battle on Mount Carmel was all about Baal or Yahweh but apparently Ahaziah hasn't learned anything Turn the page to chapter 1 of 2 Kings and look at verse 1. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. More on that in a few chapters. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. Do you see what just happened there? I've missed this. I just kind of keep on reading. Sometimes in, in Kings, you kind of get in this little cycle. They did bad. They did bad. Yeah, they did bad. And you don't stop and say, 
whoa, look at that. The king of Israel has had an accident, right? He was upstairs and he fell downstairs. Ow, he's in pain. He's laid up in bed. He can't get up. Hard to king if you can't get up, right? And he's wondering, is this it? Am I going to die from my injuries? Am I going to survive? Am I going to ever get up again? So he wants to see what his God says about that. The king of Israel wants to see what his God says about that. Did you catch which God he wants to consult? Baal. Baal. But not just any Baal, not just any Baal, but the God of the Philistine town of Ekron named Baal Zebub. You know what that means in English? Lord of the flies. King Ahaziah, king of Israel, sends some messengers to consult Baal Zebub to find out if he's going to recover from his injuries. How do you think Yahweh is going to respond to that? Oh, I don't care. He's a grown-up. He can consult whoever he wants. Is that how Yahweh feels about it? Does he care? I think a lot of people think he shouldn't care. I mean, what does it matter how you worship God or what God you worship as long as you worship, as long as you're a spiritual person? That's how many people of our day see it. They think that all gods are basically equal and that there are many paths to God, however you conceive of Him. But that's not how the God of the Bible sees it. He is a jealous God. And He does not want His people to accept any substitutes. Verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, there's Elijah again. He's got one more mission. Elijah one last trip to go talk to this new king and tell him what's up go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them here's our rhetorical satirical question is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Baal-zebub the king of the God of Ekron therefore this is what the Lord says you will not leave the bed you're lying on you will certainly die So Elijah went. Do you feel the burn? Feel the burn. Do you feel the burn in that question? Do you feel the satirical bite of it? It's a rhetorical question. He's not wondering, is there a God or not? This is God who's sending the question. But he's asking in such a way as to dig. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Is there no God in Israel, Ahaziah? Is that how it is? Do you see how jealous he is? Do you see how foolish idolatry is? Idolatry is turning to the wrong things. It's trusting in the wrong things. It's finding a God substitute for your life. And we still do it today. 1 John 5.21 for New Testament Christians says, like you and me, says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from God's substitutes because the God of Israel is real and He's really jealous. What do you turn to? Those of us who were in Sunday school this morning, that, that question was right there on the page, wasn't it? Confronted us. To what do you turn? What do you tend to turn to instead of turning to the Lord? It's probably not a God named Baal Zebub. 
Probably more subtle than that, I'm guessing. If not, let's talk afterwards, okay? I want to talk to you. What is it? Well, it could be just about anything. Money. We, we always go after money, sex, and power, right? Because they're obvious gods. Not obvious when we're worshiping them most of the time, but we can see it when other people are. They're obvious attractions and things we can put our faith in. But there's plenty of others. Approval. That's one for me. I, I've said it before. I like to be liked. I love the pat on the back and the attaboy. I love the like button on Facebook. Like, 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 like. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's one for me I don't talk about as much. Productivity. I can easily worship productivity. I love to be productive. And I can begin to trust in my productivity and turn to my productivity for life. My activity that leads to productivity. That's where life is. Now, productivity is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it can become a God thing. And a demanding God thing. What have you done for me lately, right? If I'm not productive, I can go into a real tailspin. Vacations, like we just took, can be difficult for me. I'm not that good at resting. Now give me a book on the beach, I can get there pretty far. But then afterwards I'm like, oh, but I didn't accomplish anything. Or maybe I'll say, I read this many chapters, look how good I am. You're not supposed to be productive when you're on vacation. What is it for you? What do you tend to turn to as a God substitute? This connects with what Donnie was talking about last week, right? Christian contentment. What do we find our contentment in instead of Christ? Food. There's a, there's a category called comfort food for a reason, right? Possessions. Who possesses whom? Do I possess my possessions or do they possess me? Public opinion, science, medicine. King Ahaziah might have put all of his faith not in Beelzebub, but in his doctors. And that would have been a mistake too. Doctors are good, but they are not God. How about politicians and government? It's so easy to make politics and government into an idol. And you know it's become an idol if you obsess over it, if you worship it, if it drives you. I don't know about you, but I've had a difficult time this election season keeping it all in biblical perspective. The Bible tells me it's just an election for President of the United States. God is still on the throne of the universe no matter what. But my heart keeps freaking out. And I obsess over the details, who said what and so forth. You know what, that reveals that there's something in my heart that's wrong that needs spiritual adjustment. And the biblical word for spiritual adjustment is repentance. I need to have a reset in my heart. Our God is a jealous God, friends. He deserves and wants all of our worship, all of our loyalty, all of our trust, all of our confidence, all of our faith to be in Him. And when we do, we experience peace and joy, and love. When we don't, we get into danger. And that's exactly where Ahaziah was. He was in danger. 
because he was chasing after another God. A God that the New Testament names as a name for Satan himself. Because Satan stands behind all false gods. Back to our story. Ahaziah has sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, and Yahweh has sent Elijah to confront those messengers, and he did. And after they met him, he was so persuasive that they turned back. Look at verse 5. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, hey, wait a second, you haven't been gone long enough. Why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied. And he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and tell him, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith Yahweh. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending men to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, He was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. We'll see about this. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. You're under arrest. You're under arrest. I got 50 men in flak jackets down here. They are loaded to bear, to take you into custody, to answer for meddling in the king's business. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. That's the book of Kings for you, isn't it? You never know what's going to happen. The Lord just rained down fire to kill 51 men. Scorched corpses are all that's left. Is there no God in Israel? Oh yes, there's a God of Israel. And He is dangerous. He's a dangerous God. The God of the Bible is not domesticated. He's dangerous. The old English word for it is terrible. Now we don't use the word terrible like that anymore. We we use the word terrible for towels or for something we don't like. Oh, that's terrible. But the word terrible used to mean striking terror into someone. Maybe that's why we do the towels. Is that why we do it? To strike terror into them? I don't know. Maybe fearsome might be a better word in today's English. English also used to use the word awesome to express this. God is awesome. He evokes awe from us. But we've lost the meaning of awesome as well. Because now candy bars are awesome, right? Pizza's awesome. You and I are all awesome. You're awesome. Yeah, you're awesome. We're all full of the awesome sauce, right? So that word by itself doesn't do it anymore either. The idea, though, is that God is dangerous. He's not to be trifled with. He is to be feared, revered, dreaded. 
to use the other old English word the way it used to be used. Do you fear God? I'm afraid that many, many treat God casually. The word that describes their feeling about God is meh. M-E-H. That's how Ahaziah treated God. Even after his 50 men died, what's he do? He sends 51 more. Verse 11. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. See how fearless he is? That's not good. There's a kind of fearlessness that's bad. It's when you're in the presence of God. And you treat Him casually. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Some people don't like this story. They feel sorry for the poor innocent soldiers sent to simply bring Elijah to have a nice little conference with the king. But that's not what they're there for. They are basically at war with Yahweh. Sent to arrest and perhaps assassinate the man of God. And in doing so, they are discounting who God is. God is holy. God is mighty. God is powerful. Our God is a consuming fire. Two weeks ago when we were at the beach, the beach is one of the places where I experienced the wonder at how powerful God is. You just sit on the beach and you watch that tide roll in and you think, God's bigger than all that. He made that. And it rained on us while we were there. We got seven inches one night. Seven inches. Whoa. And that was before Hurricane Matthew came through. Nothing to God. He's over it. He's above it. It bends to His will. Our God is holy. Our God is mighty. Our God is powerful. Our God is a consuming fire. He's dangerous. He sent the fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. And He also sent it to burn up the opposition. Our God is not nice. He's not tame or mild or domesticated or wimpy. He is, in a word, dangerous, and we do well to remember it. Yes, we know that there's more to Him than fire. But there's not less. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools take Him lightly. Fools snub Him at their own peril. We say, don't play with electricity. Don't play with matches. Don't play with God. Do you need to hear that today? Maybe it seems like somebody you know is getting away with disrespecting God. Don't believe it for a minute. And don't try it either. There is a God in Israel, and He is dangerous. 
But that's not all there is to know about him. Don't stop there. He's also merciful and gracious. That's point number three of three this morning. He's a gracious God. King Ahaziah is merciless. He sends a third captain with another 50 troops. Look at verse 13. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. The third captain, however, went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged. Please, have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captives and all, captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. This guy gets it. God is not to be treated lightly. Even attacking the prophet of God can be a death sentence. And he asks for mercy. And guess what he gets? Verse 15. The angel of Yahweh said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. Grace, that's what he gets. Mercy. He and his men do not die. But Ahaziah does. Verse 16. Elijah told the king, This is what the Lord said. Is it because there's no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baal-zebub, the king of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. So he died. According to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign, for whatever little they were worth, and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Here's the point. And Ahaziah never got it. There is a God in Israel. And he does not want to be ignored or replaced. There is a God over the universe and He does not want to be ignored or replaced or taken lightly. He's a jealous God. And we need to repent of all of our chasing after other ones. He's a dangerous God. And we need to repent of our treating Him flippantly. But thank God, He is also a gracious God. And like the third captain, we need to cry out for His mercy and experience His grace. Which takes us to this table. Because the God of 1 Kings 22, 2 Kings 1, is the same God of this table. He's the same God of the cross. It was at the cross where God's terrible holiness and His merciful grace came together in perfection. It was at the cross where our sinful idolatry was paid for through His perfect sacrifice on our behalf. All those times we ran to other things to satisfy us, when we trusted in other things to save us, when we turned to other gods to to answer our longings. All the times when we turned astray were laid on Him. The Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what this table represents. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He's a gracious God. 
For all who cried out to Him for grace, He poured it down to us at the cross. That's the God we worship at this table. We deserve the fire from heaven. And we get the blood of the cross. Not a namby-pamby God, but a nitty-gritty God. A jealous God who deserves and wants our worship. A dangerous God who spills blood, even the blood of His beloved Son. A gracious God who gives us what we do not deserve. That's the God of Israel. It's the God of the universe. It's the God of Lance Free Church. It's the God we meet at this table.